Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the chumba life. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Hi, everyone. I'm Deb Flaschenberg. Welcome to Yoga Birth Babies, a podcast produced by Prenatal Yoga Center. We will be diving into everything prenatal yoga, birth, and baby-related, hoping to inspire, educate, and empower you through your journey into motherhood. Thank you for listening. Hi, everyone. I'm Deb Flaschenberg. I'm your host for Yoga Birth Babies, and today we're going to talk about the highly sensitive person, the highly sensitive parent, and the highly sensitive baby and child, and how to know if you're a highly sensitive person, how to parent a highly sensitive baby and child. So for this topic, we have Julie Bieland. So glad I had to write that out for myself because I knew I was going to butcher it. Julie is a licensed psychotherapist, a global highly sensitive person consultant, and a leader in the field of highly sensitivity and has helped thousands of highly sensitive people around the world. So I first heard about Julie from a podcast I was listening to because I'm a podcast junkie. And I heard her talking about the highly sensitive person, highly sensitive baby. And I immediately related to that. Not actually about myself, but about um, my son and my husband and the idea about parenting the highly sensitive child and that sometimes they're misunderstood. They're talked about as the fussy baby or the colicky baby or the overactive child. And what Julie says in this interview in our talk and what I heard her in other conversations really resonated with me and I think could be incredibly helpful. So I sought her out and I Got this conversation going, and I'm really excited about it, and I think you will be too. And then just a few other things to mention. So if you're in the New York area and you want to join our postpartum party, that's going to be May 15th at 2 o'clock at the Upper West Side Studio. I'll be speaking about creating a home practice, a home yoga practice after baby. We have Paige Bellenbaum of the Motherhood Center. She'll be speaking about PMAD, which is perinatal mood and anxiety disorder, recognizing it, taking the stigma out of it, and how to find help and support. And we also have Kristen Ader. She's going to be, she's from and kin, and she's going to be talking about finding the right child care for your needs. So if you're not in the air and you can't make it, we're going to do some Instagram and Facebook Live some of the, so you can get some uh, clips of us speaking. I'm really excited. We've got some wonderful sponsors, some food, some swag bags. It'll be a really great time just celebrating the tribe that we come together, the community at PYC. And then last little bit of announcements, super excited that we are now slated for five teacher trainings next year, two in New York City. There's a few spots left for the fall. We'll be in North Carolina, in Charlotte, North Carolina at Yoga One in the fall. In the winter, we'll be at Willow Street Yoga in January and February. 
and then April and May uh, back at Yoga Source in in Richmond, Virginia. All right. So as I was looking through some of my past uh, emails, I came across one that I missed, and it was actually from one of our teacher trainees at the Richmond, Virginia uh, training. And I wanted to read to you what she wrote in because sometimes. I just want to pat myself on the back. I don't think I do it enough, and I'm really proud of the program that we've created at PYC and the teacher training, so I just want to read you this. Liz says, thank you so much for such a wonderful program. I've learned so much as a teacher and as a woman who'd like to give birth one day. It was truly an amazing experience, and I'm grateful and honored to have been able to study with you and Caprice. And I wanted to thank you, Liz, for sharing that because sometimes I'm just kind of in trudging through in that mode and I just I see the eye, the eye of the prize, keep moving forward, keep grading tests, keep watching classes, get the notes out, move on to the next thing. That sometimes I forget to step back and see how this program's impacted people. And I'm deeply, deeply proud of the work that we've done to create it. And now we have the opportunity to take it out into the world. So thank you, Liz, for writing in and thank you all for listening about that. Okay, we're going to take a break. And when we come back, we are going to hear the conversation I had with Julie. All right, we'll be right back. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hi, Julie. How are you today? I'm great. I'm very happy to be here. Oh, wonderful. I am so excited to speak with you. So I heard you on another podcast and as I was walking, I was just like shaking my head. I'm like, yes, yes, I need to talk to this person because I think uh, the highly sensitive person is misunderstood. And as I told you before, like I'm married to a highly sensitive person and a highly sensitive baby. So this is such great information that I think parents and people just need to hear. So yay. Thank you for joining me. (laughs) My enthusiasm is hardly contained. All right. So before we get into talking about, um, I know you go by the initials that HSP. Before we get into that, can I just hear a little bit about you and how you got into this work? Yeah, sure. Well, I am a licensed psychotherapist and an author, and I got into this work because I am a a highly sensitive person, and we're going to talk all about that today. (laughs) And uh, there comes with it lots of uh, challenges and also brain differences. And I really wanted to understand the trait. And when I first started, there was hardly anybody talking about it, it besides, you know, the, the original Elaine Aaron, who's really the pioneer of kind of discovering this trait. So it was really started out as my mission to educate and bring awareness to the trait. That's great. And so can you talk about what is a, how would you define a highly sensitive person? Sure. So the actual scientific name for it is sensory processing sensitivity. And uh, it's important to distinguish that that's not a disorder. It's a trait and it's found in 20% of the population. So we've got like 1.4 billion of us out there (laughs) and uh, it's equal in gender 
Um, and about 70% of us are introverts and 30% extroverts. So it's not the same thing as introversion, but there is some overlap for some of us. And then the um, there is an acronym that Elaine Aaron came up with that really describes everyone that's an HSP. And it spells out does, D-O-E-S. And D is for depth of processing. O is for overstimulation. E is for emotional responsiveness and empathy. And S is for sensing the subtle. So every HSP, as we call them for short, has these traits. As you say that, I'm just kind of floored because as I was mentioning, my husband's a highly sensitive person. I suspect my son is, but not. As I read your trait list, some of the things didn't click. But it really highlights that sometimes um, as a non-highly sensitive person, it can be a, a challenge to fully understand some of the sensory and the empathy. Yeah. Yeah. It's almost like having an extra sense in many ways. And a lot of, we call them non-HSPs who don't have the trait, um, do struggle to understand an HSP. And an HSP struggles a bit to understand a non-HSP because we really do have brain differences and we experience the world in different ways. And it, it was really, this trait evolved as a, like a survival strategy of the population. So we really need both kinds of people in the world we offer. Both of us have different different sets of gifts. So that's why we need both. <laughs> and the world is a little bit set, not set up so much for HSPs, which is why we struggle a lot. Um, so a lot of my work involves, you know, helping people to, how, how can you be such a sensitive person in, in this modern kind of chaotic world? Yeah, there's a lot of stimulation, a lot yes. of stimulation. Yeah, especially for kids and babies, which I want to definitely talk about that. But you struck something, you said something that really struck something I want to hear more about, if you don't mind me kind of going off topic. You talked about the brain differences. Do yes. you mind going into that a little bit? I love, I love that kind of sciencey stuff. Oh, I do too. <laughs> I love it because we can do a lot of my whole thing is about brain training. And I, I love it because we can train our brain in lots of different ways. And so some of the brain differences are we ha HSPs have a more activated brain mirror neuron system. And that means that that's the part of the brain that like if we're observing somebody, maybe they're in pain or emotional pain, for example, our brain will start to fire some of the same neurons they're firing so that we literally start to experience what they're experiencing. And um, we also have a more activated amygdala, which is the fight, flight, freeze part of the brain. And that is part of the biggest challenges for a lot of HSPs is how to kind of reduce that overactivation. And that that's a um, that's why we see a lot of anxiety in HSPs. We get a, it really has a lot to do with the overactivation of that amygdala as an example. So those are a couple of the differences. Also, um, uh, more activation in the insula part of the brain, which is a part of our, like the seat of consciousness. So HSPs have a incredibly high level of awareness, more than 80% of the population. We can read micro expressions and body language and energies off of people that 80% of the population misses. You were describing my husband to a T. I'm <laughs> This yep. is fascinating. I had to make sure. I don't know if I want him to hear this or not. <laughs> but 
I always when I when I start talking to an HSP, I'm always like, I know a lot about you before you even tell me anything. <laughs> because we I work globally. So it's I've really worked with thousands of HSPs by this point all across the globe. And we all have such similar things in common. And yet we all feel so different. And that's because we're the minority in terms of only being 20%. But once you start kind of getting to know other HSPs, you're like, oh, there's other people that experience things the way I do. And that really helps a lot. And it's giving me some perspective as well, because like I would, I'd be telling a story and I, you know, I used to be a performer, so I think I'm kind of dramatic. And he would be like, you don't have to unload it on me. I'm like, oh, I'm, I'm not. I'm just kind of like expressing it. And he would take it as feeling whatever I'm expressing. So this is just fascinating, which leads into highly sensitive babies. Yeah. And that's something that I definitely wanted to talk about. Because one of the things I heard you say on a podcast is sometimes they're misunderstood. They're just being called fussy or colicky. And when you highlighted, they could just be a highly sensitive baby. I think that then helps how someone can accept when a baby's um, not following, I'm going to put in quotes, kind of the norm of what's expected. Absolutely. And we see a lot of misdiagnosis in general in this population, just due to a lack of understanding. And um, I always tell people to do everything you can to learn about this trait, because it will really clear up so many things for you. And you got to be your own advocate, whether you're an HSP or your, or your child might be a highly sensitive child. You really got to be an advocate for your child if they are and and try to um, support them through that, talk to doctors about it, their teachers, all of it. So what would some of the traits for a highly, would be for a highly sensitive baby? Just because some people might be like, oh, it's a fussy baby or calling it like a bad baby. Like, How can someone see some of these traits so that they can get away from labeling fussy or bad? Yeah, that's a great question. And there hasn't been a lot of research yet done on highly sensitive infants, but I've been doing kind of my own research and polling parents. And of course, I do a lot of work with parents of sensitive kids. So what I was seeing showing up a lot is things like, I mean, I have like about 15 things I could name. Yeah, I don't yeah, know go. You, I, I, I really do. Name I, have, all of them? I really do. Because I, okay. <laughs> I awesome. want those that are listening that they may be able to hear something but like, then they can kind of grab onto it and that might help them uh, when they're having a challenge with their child. Instead of blaming the child, be like, okay, this is just what's going on. So yeah, yes. go through it. Okay, I'll go through it. And then also I want to say something quick is sure. that um, it's so important because we actually sh- like to know about this trait if you're a parent of a, of a, of a you know, like you think maybe you have a sensitive infant or child, because we actually have research that shows that if these children are supported uh, in their early years, if, they're un- if their parents understand the trait and they're supported in the ways they need to be, they're actually less likely to experience anxiety and depression than than the 80% of the population. But if they don't get the, their needs met, which is, you know, most of us didn't get our needs met because we, we didn't even know about this trait when we were little, um, then we're more likely to have anxiety and depression. So what you do with your sensitive kids when they're little will determine if they're going to struggle with that when they're older. So I just wanted to make sure we say that. Yeah. And that's Um, why this work is so important because all parents, we set out to do the best we can. And if we have these extra tools and extra awareness, it can just help us be a better parent to that particular child. Oh, absolutely. I get so excited when a parent is reaching out to me to ask questions because I'm like, that's so great. I mean, that's a parent that's being supportive and that child might, might not have anxiety then when they grow up, you know? That'd be great. So yeah, I'll go... 
our family has grown. Welcome to the world, Hannah baby. Introducing a new collection, Hannah Soft, made with Tencel. It's so breathable, with stretchy comfort for all of baby's first moments. And it's cool and gentle on their skin all year round. Entrusted Hannah quality for your most precious gift. Hannah Soft, made to last. Shop now at hannahanderson.com. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of the Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play the Godfather, now at ChampaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. I'll yeah. go through the, um, so we might see things like um, frequent overstimulation that might show up like around when they're in, when you're around lots of people and you've been really busy. Like if you're, you know, um, carting your baby around all over the place and rounds lots of people and they're not feeling like they've had enough rest. Um, we're, we might see things that are like sensitive skin, more prone to rashes, more sensitive to chemicals like in skin wipes, cleaners, you know, laundry detergents, more prone to allergies. Um, like for example, when my, um, I have two highly sensitive children who are now uh, teenagers and when they, when one of them was little, he had a lot of allergies and I had done a lot of research and found out that I went through my entire household and started using all natural um, cleaners and detergents and things like that. And his allergies got better. Hmm. So it's it's really amazing what, what you can actually do in a holistic way to make things easier. Um, and then we might see some uh, food sensitivities. You might see an increase in like um, spitting up gas. They can be sensitive to textures of food, um, more sensitive even to things that the mother's eating uh, in breastfeeding. Sensitive to certain textures in the environment, like scenes, like seams in socks or tags. Mm-hmm. And I remember my other son, oh, he would have total meltdowns with the with the seams in his socks. <laughs> so we had to work on that. Or tags. Mm-hmm. And also uh, like a really strong reaction to being like wet, dirty, or sticky. Okay. Um, like you might see, see a more like extreme reaction to those things. Because remember, this is a sensory sensitivity. So really looking at the five senses. Um, we might see more sleep sensitivities, needing more time to fall asleep or stay asleep, greater noise sensitivities, uh, like a strong startle response, um, more sensitive to temperature uh, changes, you know, in extremes. Um, sometimes we'll see a, a more sensor, like separation anxiety. And this shows up more if the parents have anxiety or high stress. And we'll probably talk more about that, but that's a huge thing you can do for your child is work on your own stress and anxiety because they're going to, they're going to mirror off of you. Um, And then they need to be held a lot and might be uh, harder to self-soothe at times. But all all of these things, um, you can actually prevent a lot of these things by creating a schedule that works for you and your infant. 
This is so fascinating because I feel like I've now worked with um, the pre and postnatal population for almost 18 years. And I've seen a lot of this and I've seen some of the mothers that chose to breastfeed, like cutting everything out of their diet, not knowing what to do. And it could it could be the baby's highly sensitive. It may not necessarily be everything they're eating. And then I've also seen, as you're talking about some of these traits, several of my um friends' kids, they've been diagnosed with ADHD. I feel like a lot of kids Mm. recently, like out of his friends, out of my son's friends, like five of them have. And I'm wondering if it's, and maybe I'm just throwing this out there and I could be wrong, but do you think there's a misdiagnosis of ADHD and it could just be a highly sensitive person? Yes, that we're actually seeing that a lot. And it I'll be clear that it's it's actually is possible to be an HSB and have ADHD. <clears throat> but if the if the diagnosing practitioner doesn't know about this trait, there is a high chance that it could be misdiagnosed. And I see that a lot and it's heartbreaking because these kids are going on medications that they don't need and that cause uh you know, can cause a lot of side effects because we can also be incredibly sensitive to medications. Um, So one of the things that, uh, and I even think, I even use my own story as an example that I can remember being in school and I would be so concerned about like, oh my gosh, the teacher seems really, something's going on with the teacher today. Like they seem upset and those kids over there are like arguing with each other. And, you know, and I would be so focused on everybody's moods and what's going on in the classroom that I wouldn't be listening to what the teacher was saying. And that could have been diagnosed as ADHD. Right. Oh, it's so interesting. So this is, I didn't have it. Right. (laughs) But this is good for, for parents of all age child. So, you know, again, we're talking babies, but also as kids get older, some of these traits may be misinterpreted. Yes, and I want to say one one great way to know the difference that is that with ADHD, uh, if the child is in a quiet environment, like say the child's you know really happily playing in their room, can they focus? If they can focus when they're you know happily playing in their room, it's likely not ADHD. Yeah, we actually had been talking to, about getting my son evaluated, and the the therapist we spoke to was like, I don't think so because he can actually play by himself very nicely. He has a Lego thing. He loves his Legos. And (laughs) (laughs) like, it will be quiet. And I'd be like, where's Shay? And then there he is playing Legos. This happens all the time. So we, I actually think he's more of a highly sensitive person or has ADD more about, um, at times he just wants to be talking to his friends. Yeah, because uh, if you think about it, we we can take in, like if, say a non-HSP takes in just a few tubes of information into their brain. And an HSP could be taking in, you know, a hundred tubes of information into their brain. So it's there's a lot going on for the brain of an HSP. And we're taking in so much that that's why it can look like ADHD because if we're in an environment where there's a lot going on or somebody's upset or or something, you know, they're picking up on that brain mirror neurons, mm-hmm. um, that that can look like, oh, this child can't concentrate and, and look at how our classrooms are structured. Right. Right. Um, these days. So it's important to pay attention to stuff like that. And you can advocate for your, what your kids needs are with your teachers. Absolutely. So I want to go back to strategies or considerations to help support an HS baby. Yes. Yes. So again, I go into 
a lot talking about the parents' stress levels, moods, and energy levels. Because what happens is I, I have been doing this for a long time. And what I end up seeing is that parents will show up with their child um, having problems with the child, like the child has a lot of anxiety or something's going wrong in school or socially or, or something. And what we can almost always trace in those examples are that one or both of the parents are not doing that great, you know, in terms of their stress levels, their anxiety. So if you want to support your highly sensitive baby child, the best thing you can do for yourself is make sure that you are yourself centered, doing your own self-care, um, because you're not going to be able to meet the needs of yourself or your child if you're not. And again, because of that, that ability to, for sensitive children to pick up on what's around them, you can't hide it. (laughs) So if you're, if you're stressed out and anxious, your child feels that. And what happens for a child's world is that if their parents are not okay, then the child's not okay. Because in a child brain, they don't know, they need security to be okay. And if they don't feel safe and secure, um, you know, even in the parents uh, individually or even in the parents' relationship, that's going to show up uh, instantly into causing problems for the child. So I always start there because if we don't start there, we are not going to solve any of the problems. We're just putting a Band-Aid on the problem. Absolutely. on A Band-Aid on a huge wound, <laughs> <laughs> right? That's not going to work. So that's, I, I and it, it immediately reflects into it. So I work a lot with like uh, HSP moms, for example, and they are notoriously the worst at self-care. <laughs> and because we're so, HSPs tend to be so giving, so caring, and we're always meeting everybody else's needs and sort of our needs are at the bottom. Mm-hmm. And so you, you're going to see depletion moms, uh, start getting resentful of the time that they have to, you know, of all the things that they have to do and the energy that they don't have. So I would definitely start with uh, making sure that you are getting your, your own uh, centered balance in place. Okay. And then, of course, learning all about the trait, everything that you can about the trait so that you understand what's going on for your child. And find your tribe, find your HSP tribe. There's, it's really profound to spend time with other HSPs or parents of sensitive children because you're not going to feel so alone and so out there like you don't, like you're different than everybody else or you're having a different experience. And that validation and acceptance of the trait will really transform everything. Yeah, I had that. One of my really good friends who I'm actually seeing this weekend, I'm so excited. Um, both our sons are just active, rough boys. And we had one of our friends that we hung out with had a really calm, quiet girl. And we, <laughs> it, I don't, it's not always about gender, but those, that just happened to be our, our little mix. And it sometimes felt really badly, you know, bad for us when our boys were always running off and doing things and on the playground and just it was hard to contain. And then this nice little sweet girl was sitting in the play in the sandbox, just playing. And I would sometimes feel badly. Like it's just, it was, it was just harder. It was a harder experience I felt, uh, with my son at that point. So I mm-hmm. like the idea of finding, finding your tribe. So you don't feel like the sore thumb. 
Oh, absolutely. I mean, even when my son was little, I remember um, feeling like, oh my gosh, you know, all these kids can just like run out into the playground and start playing and have no problems. And and my son's like holding back. Why is he doing that? You know? <laughs> and so this is back then we didn't have a lot of information about it. And um, you know, and now I could be, if I was that mom now, I could say like, okay, my, you know, my son takes a little time to observe first. He's taken in so much information. He's got to observe for a while before he jumps in and that's totally okay. Um, and we get a lot of labeling, uh, as sensitive kids too, you know, where maybe you walk into the classroom and, and you're, your child holds back a bit and the teacher's like, oh, are you shy? And they mm-hmm. start labeling it as if it's a negative. Um, so that's where you it would be really great to be able to meet with a teacher ahead of time and really teach them about the trait and so that they can understand how to support your child. And I want to say something, too, that there's not just negatives with this, that um, a highly sensitive child is oh, just amazing. Like, they're advanced in lots of ways in their speech and they pick things up really quickly and they're so loving and kind and they care so much about people and the world and animals and um, they're just beautiful you know spirits in the world so you get a lot of really beautiful things with this trait as well. That's important because, yeah, we don't want to just start to focus on the negative. So if somebody, so say a parent suspects their baby went through the traits, highly sensitive, would they then try to make sure about food textures and temperature and um, there's some of the other like overstimulation, just try to kind of be the the guardian of their space because a baby is not going to be able to speak up for itself. It will just get overwhelmed. Yeah, that's where it's a little easier sometimes to be a highly sensitive person when you have a highly sensitive child because it, it's easier to get really in tune um, with their needs and to, you know, highly sensitive parents have the ability to know ahead of time, even before the child knows like what they need. And some, you know, non-sensitive parents can do that too. So you look out for, um, it, it, you aren't necessarily going to see all of these things in every child. You might even just see one or two of these things. So you're, you're just going to look at, you know, where are you having problems? If you're noticing like, oh, they're getting a lot of diaper rashes. Oh, okay. Let's look at that. You know, maybe we need, you need to use a different kind of diaper cream, a more natural one. And maybe I need to look at changing the, if they're having rashes, we got to look at what cleaners are you using, laundry detergents. And if you're noticing, you know, they're really um, spitting up certain foods or they they um, throw up certain foods after they eat it, or they're just really struggling and not wanting something, listen to that and you know, believe it, believe it that it's true. And this stuff gets easier. Like I, you know, my son that had such an issue with the sock seams, he, he doesn't have that now. <laughs> so, <laughs> you know, some things actually get easier as you get older. Uh, some things stay with you. Uh, like I still get, uh, like I'm really sensitive to light and certain sounds. So like if I go to a restaurant and I'm going to sit down. I don't want the person that I'm looking at to have like the window behind them, you know, mm-hmm. because the light can cause problems for me. So just little things that you kind of get to know with your child about what might be impacting them and think about it in terms of the five senses um, that, you know, if they're, if you're seeing anything go wrong or not some issues, then look at, okay, what could be a particular sense that's the issue right now for my child? So what about does it work well or clash if you have a highly sensitive parent and a highly sensitive baby? You would think that there would be an understanding, or is it sometimes too much? Like the highly sensitive parent and the baby's crying, it could 
really uh, irritate them, or maybe I'm misthinking that. Yes, that absolutely can ha- happen, and I've seen that a lot, and it happens with the with the parents that are not practicing their own self care. Okay, it comes back. Yep. To, yeah, so if course. you're depleted and overwhelmed all the time, and have your own anxiety, and then you bring a baby into that, <laughs> and a sensitive baby into that, yes, you're gonna. That's going to be really hard. So, I, you know, whether if you're if you're out there like thinking about starting a family, um, the best thing you can do, you know, if you really struggle with anxiety, get get into a good therapist. Make sure the therapist knows about the trait. Have them help you through that so that you can kind of get the stuff worked out. Um, like I have a, um, a an HSP in, in my course right now, and he's having a baby in July. His wife's going to have a baby in July. And, you know, this is a great time for him to be setting up these tools before the baby comes. And if you already have um, a baby or a child, then I cannot stress it enough to find. We actually recommend two hours of alone time per day and one full day off per week for an HSP for um, brain processing, rest, and restoration. I would love two hours a day off to myself. Yes. (laughs) And how do you... That's unheard of. I'm so happy when I can get a shower by myself. <laughs> I know. Sometimes as parents, it definitely is hard to get that time. But every parent that's done it, whether you can get like an hour in the morning, an hour in the night. And um, this is exactly what I work on with HSPs is getting them to do it. And I tell people, do it for one week. And I want you to see the difference. Because what everybody thinks they don't have time for it. But what happens when you actually do it is you're more focused, more balanced. You're actually wasting less energy because you're a lot more focused and efficient. And I'm just, I'm kind of in awe of how they get a whole day off. And when I'm just looking at like family life between work and family. Yeah. How does that, how do you suggest someone gets a whole day off? Yeah. Sometimes it can be worked out with, um, like when I had, when my children were little, we did different things. Sometimes you can swap with like, maybe you take a half a day on Saturday and a half a day on Sunday, and then your partner can, um, you know, pick up that, like you can get that time to yourself. Sometimes you can, like for me, uh, I was uh, friends with other parents that had children uh, of a similar age and we would actually swap. And, you know, we, so we'd have like play dates and take care of uh, their kids for uh, a day. And then they take care of ours for a day. And then that way we all get time to ourselves. So there's ways to, to make it happen. And even if you can just do a half a day right now, mm-hmm. that's a lot. That's a lot more than doing nothing. I guess that goes back to the self-care. Yes. Yeah. And when you were talking also um, about some of the traits, what my husband uses um, when my daughter was a pretty big scream, like not scream, like screeching sometimes when she cried, he would put earplugs in because it actually hurt his hearing. It hurt his ears. Love that. I actually recommend that. That's in some of my books that I talk about that with other clients that like, for example, if you, if you're an HSP parent and you're, and you come home from work and you're already tired and you're just like, oh my gosh, the noise level, you know, putting in earplugs. I, I think that's a fantastic idea. I love the silicon ones because like the max silicon ones, because you can, um, you can kind of push them in or out as much as you want. So it's oh, almost sorry. like you can buffer the sound, but still hear it, or you can push them all the way in and really <laughs> block it out. <laughs> but yes. Uh, and I, I kind of talk about a point system with, um, HSPs too. So think about like, if you had a hundred points for the day of energy 
and you work and you have a family. When you get when you walk home, walk in that door, when you get home, you if you're walking in with almost zero points, you're going to have a problem. <laughs> it's going to be a really difficult evening. So plan to have points when you get home because you've got another job at home with the family. So it, that's where we got to look at taking breaks at work, taking, you know, most people that I talk to who are incredibly depleted, when I ask them specifically about their schedule, they're, they're skipping their breaks. They're constantly um, being activated by their devices. You know, it's, there's no time for the brain to rest. I like that you mentioned something important, the devices. That's something yes. we do in our family. We put our phones down at night. I mean, I read with my son. And then when my husband and I go to bed, we put our phones down and, just, and read books. I mean, we're not talking to each other necessarily because we're reading, but the, the devices are away. And I find we both sleep better that way too. Absolutely. Uh, anybody that has trouble sleeping, because there's a, there's a light that gets emitted from devices that um, can actually mimic for the brain, it starts to think that it's light out and it's daytime. And that's why a lot of people who are looking at their devices, reading on them, for example, at night, they have trouble falling asleep. Mm. Uh, that's one reason. And the notifications, I always tell HSPs, turn off your notifications on your phone. Maybe only have the emergency ones like your children, your partner, that's it. Because every time you, your brain hears that ping of the of the device, it goes into to like to do mode, and yeah. it takes it takes out several of your points every time you hear that sound. So that is like the the brain these days with the way that we you know everybody has their phones and constantly connected, we just aren't turned off at all. And, and it's creating, I kind of think of the, the HSP has like this internal motor and it's, it's turned up so high in most HSPs. And that's why we get that overwhelm and, and, uh, depletion and anxiety. That makes a lot of sense. So when we're talking about parent child, so that was highly sensitive parent with highly sensitive baby, but what about the non-highly sensitive parent and the highly sensitive baby, there seems like there might be misunderstanding and frustration that may arise. What are some tools and tactics for finding a functional relationship in that scenario? Yeah, we do see that a lot. And uh, and that's where what I have seen shift the most for non-HSP parents is to is to understand that this trait is real. It's a scientifically proven trait. There's research about it. There's tons of information about it. And I think if you can if you can really understand that this is a real thing and this is a real experience for your child, then you're not going to take it personally if something starts to break down, you know? Because parents sometimes are like, oh, they're doing this to me on purpose or or they're doing this just to bother me or something like that. And there's this, this sense of like it's a personal attack in some way. But mm-hmm. sensitive kids... Uh, and, and this is actually part of the trait is that we are uh, this part of the, the population. We want to get things right the first time. We don't want to make mistakes and we don't want to disappoint people. So a sensitive child tries so hard to do everything right. <laughs> and there's sort of a, there's, and we even have an issue with perfectionism as being a problem. So you're going to see a child who really um, wants to do the right thing and wants to please you. So making really clear rules, very black and white, very, very clear rules. And I would stay, I would mostly stay away from um, discipline with a sensitive child and instead be more of a teacher. That, that works a lot better because in most situations, sensitive kids are so hard on themselves in the first place 
that having an additional uh, consequence is usually not very effective. So it's more effective actually to teach, you know? So like with my boys, I would say, you know, I've noticed that, you know, such and such and such is happening and this is really important to me. So using those kinds of words with a sensitive kid, this is really important to me that we do it this way. And this is the reason why give them the reasons why they have a depth of processing that, wants a lot of information. And when they have, when you give really consistent, clear um, directions and you're giving that child enough of that downtime, you're not going to see a lot of behavioral issues that even need discipline. I'm digesting that because (laughs) we do a lot of consequences. And I, (laughs) like, um, they can't watch TV until the playroom's cleaned up. Mm -hmm. And that works because they want to watch TV or is that a teaching thing or is that a consequence? So I don't know the consequences. They can't watch TV. However, they get that reward if they clean up the playroom. Yeah. And that's okay. I mean, I, I would do that with my boys too. It's like we do homework and chores in the home because, and we talk about chores in, in a way of this is how we help the family. We contribute to the family by doing these things and that helps each other. And when you talk about it in that sense, they want to help the family. It's not just like uh, a chore then. It's about, and then and then positive reinforcement. Like I, I really love how well, you know, you cleaned up the playroom today. Like I, I, that is fantastic. I mean, they love positive reinforcement. And I do think like in today's day and age where kids are on devices and TV and stuff that, that asking for um, like you want the playroom cleaned up before TV, great idea. And then you have to be consistent about it. So if sometimes you aren't consistent, that's really confusing for a child and then they're not going to be consistent. What about, does this translate even to the like the baby toddler preschool? Can we use the same, I'm just trying to think of my, the, the community that listens to this podcast. Can they use that same learning or at that age, do they need consequences well, of course, whenever it comes to safety stuff, you, they're, they're, everything like that has to be a lot stronger. But my, you can definitely with young children, I mean, you, you have to do it based on age. So you can't give like uh, a 10 step directions to a three year old, but I love lists. Uh, and you know, if they're, if they're not old enough to read, you can do picture lists that, uh, a lot of parents talk about like, oh my gosh, nighttime is such a, a nightmare getting their teeth brushed and getting them to bed. And so routine, routine is really important. Doing things at the same time of the day in the same way is really comforting for sensitive kids. So, and having a board like, okay, we're going to put stickers or check off like when we brush our teeth and then we, that's when we get story time. And so doing it consistently the same every night and, and prepping yourself for, you know, the other times that most parents talk about are really hard are like morning times. And prepping the night before with, you know, getting clothes laid out ahead of time and having the kids be involved in that, too, about what they're comfortable in and um, getting lunches made the night before so you're not in a total race in the begin- in the morning. And mm-hmm. I've also seen that uh, the way you start your morning is usually how the day goes. So try to give your child extra time in the morning, even if that means that they go to sleep earlier and get up a little earlier, because if you're racing your child out the door in the morning, that is going to create a whole day of sort of an internal chaos. So we've seen that show up a lot, that if you can slow your morning down 
and you have your routine in the evening, you really will see the most benefit. I think that's great. It made me think about toddlers in preschool. My daughter's still in preschool. And every, you know, I always ask her how her day was. We're a very routine family because I'm crazily routined. Um, and she always tells me, you know, they go in, they hang their bags up, they do circle time. And so it's just making me think about kind of the school age. So what would be helpful for the HS child to thrive in an environment like school where it could be overwhelming or overstimulating? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, if they're, are you talking about like preschool age? Uh, let's do both preschool and grade school. Okay. So for preschool, since that's something you can really kind of shop around, um, <clears throat> I think smaller and, and really any kind of school, if you can do smaller, the smaller, the better. So if you do have an option to, to, to pick a school, if you can visit the school and if it's a smaller classroom where there's more um, adult to child, you know, ratio, um, take a, I always recommend that uh, when you're about to start anything new with a sensitive child, like a new classroom, uh, going to a new location for something, that you go there with your child and have them visit before school starts. Meet the teacher. Ask to set up a meeting with the teacher. And a lot of uh, a lot of parents I, I coach have them do this, and it really works well. That bring them to the classroom, show them around before all the other kids are there, like the day before or or a week before, or whatever school starts. Meet the teacher. Have the teacher show the child around. You would have also set up your own meeting with the teacher to talk about your child's kind of. Um, you know, some of their attributes, some of the things they might need some support around, uh, that can really be helpful. So you also want to try to get matched with, if it's possible to get matched with a teacher who um, is open to learning about this trait if they don't already know it. Um, So I even tell people, I'm like, hand, you know, uh, like one of my books, my my newest book, The the Empowered Highly Sensitive Person, uh, I always say, hand that to your teachers, to your doctors, to everybody, because they can learn about the trait that way. You know, give them material to learn about it and look for teachers that are interested in uh, understanding your child. And um, if Things like sometimes it depends on the child, but sometimes things like recess, if the child's a little older and they have recess, um, if that's something that's really stressful for your child, we recommend doing things like um, sometimes schools will do like a buddy system. Like when my son was in uh, early grade school, he started at a new school and didn't know anybody. So the teacher did like a buddy system and that really helped him until he was able to kind of know people and get comfortable. Um, I've even seen if kids are really struggling with recess with lots of anxiety that they can do things like, you know, maybe go help in the library at uh, recess. That has actually been successful for certain kids for a period of time uh, in transitions, as an example. Because it also seems like the traditional, I mean, for preschool, I feel like there's a lot more options to shop around and find a fit for your child. We happen to be a Montessori family, so we went very much in that that direction. I, I really enjoyed that. But I know by the time, if it's a public school, it tends to be a little more traditional, and there tends to be a little bit, you know, bigger classes, and I'm finding a little less wiggle room for individual needs, and, and that could be overwhelming and overstimulating because there's a lot going on. 
Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah, I love the Montessori stuff too. I think those can be great for sensitive kids if it's possible for the parents. Um, things like if you know if you really do have to be in a traditional school and you don't have a lot of choices in that area, um, things that you can look at are um, don't overschedule the kids. Uh, so after, if it's possible after school, you know, because if they've already been in a really stimulating environment for, for the whole day, and then you, you add in extra activities after school, you might be seeing a child that's melting down a lot. So you got to kind of gauge how your child is doing, uh, and make sure they're getting that downtime. So after school, they should try to get that couple of hours of quiet time after school so that they can kind of decompress, um, things like that. You also want to teach your, start teaching your sensitive child self-soothing techniques because there's a lot of great techniques out there that um, are very helpful and that children, uh, and I talk about that, those things a lot uh, in my resources as well, that like teaching specific calming techniques uh, that help children, even breathing techniques, like a, a simple one of like breathing in for a count of four, holding it for two, breathing out for a count of seven, that's something that's really great for calming the nervous system. Mm. So that's something that's very easy for a child to learn. Start introducing yoga and meditation to your children really young. Teach them about how to um, navigate overstimulation. Um, you can, you know, you might see that show up. I have parents that are like, oh, when, when we have big birthday parties, my child has a big meltdown. So that's an example of overstimulation. And so you want to make sure your child's had enough rest that, they, yeah. that they've eaten, that all the basics are there, that they get little breaks. These right? are great things. And I think sometimes as parents, we're, at least I'm going to put myself in this, I, you know, I know there's a birthday party. We really try to limit the sugar. We try to have it well rested. And it, we can all get caught up, I think, in the scheduling. I see this a lot Um we didn't do a ton of baby classes. My son was in preschool at age two, and so I tried to limit the classes after that. But I do see, especially in New York City, there's a ton of classes. And I'm partly at fault because we offer classes at my yoga studio, which I think are great. <laughs> um, I love the baby fingers, the baby sign language. Um, but I think sometimes parents can get overscheduled, even down to the, the baby toddler age. So do you... Do you just, when they do have these classes, which again, some of them I think are wonderful bonding, do you then just recommend that they, you know, only maybe one class a day and they make sure they don't, they have nap time or what are your thoughts on that? Well, I think you have to read your child because some child, you know, we do have, you know, 30% are, are extroverts. So we do have some children that, you know, enjoy activities and do well. So you got to read, you got to read your child. If you're noticing that they seem to be really having a lot of meltdowns and, you know, cranky, irritable, having, you know, anger fits or anything like that, then you're, you got to look at, okay, we got to look at the schedule. Maybe we're not getting enough downtime. So your child's going to, you have to read your child and they're going to really tell you based on their own behavior, how that's going. Even things like travel, taking a trip with kids, mm-hmm. um, being, you know, family get togethers, holidays, things that are out of the norm. Um, try to schedule, like if you're going to go on a trip, uh, schedule busy activities in between quiet activities, Mm -hmm. schedule time to rest, you know, don't come back from a busy trip and then expect them to be able to go to school instantly. They might need a day or two of rest. 
Um, so things like that, that you can kind of try to make sure you're sprinkling in, you know, even I do that. Like when I take a trip, I make sure that if something's going to seem busy or overstimulating that I have quiet time in between those. And that's how I can, I can do those things. That's really smart. You said something that kind of jumped into my head about, or maybe, I don't know why it jumped in my head, but tantrums. When you see a baby or a toddler, even a young child start to have a tantrum, do you have a tool that can de-escalate it? <laughs> Great question. <laughs> Once a child has already started, like if it's a full-blown tantrum, I actually talk a lot about like this. If you think about the brain as being having two parts, the emotional brain and the cognitive brain. For the HSP or the highly sensitive child, the emotional brain tends to be more activated uh, and gets too activated. And when that happens, the cognitive brain basically goes to sleep. So if you're trying to reason with a toddler having a tantrum, forget it. You're, you can't, <laughs> the brain cannot take in information during a tantrum. So instead, you obviously you want to make sure they're safe and Af, um, but don't try to discipline or teach or do anything in the midst of a tantrum because literally the brain can't take in that information. So instead, what's better is after the child has a, we can talk about some calming stuff. Like for one of my children, he really did well kind of being ushered into his room when he needed th that, you know, if he's about to have a tantrum or he's really kind of starting to have a meltdown, <clears throat> excuse me, he did better, um, kind of being quiet in his room. And then I had another son who did better taking a walk. You know, he, he needed to walk off what he was feeling. Uh, so kind of get to know how to soothe your child and in the midst of it. But what's most effective, I think, is to try to prevent the tantrum in the first place. <laughs> yes, yes, of course. <laughs> we want to avoid the tantrum, but sometimes. <laughs> <Yeah>. so, <laughs> so figure out what caused it. It's like most of the time there's a cause. Kids don't just decide to do that to upset you. For them, they're literally out of control. They haven't developed the ability to control that yet that self-soothing. So most of the time it's going to happen when they've been overtired, too busy. Maybe they're starting to get sick. Um, they haven't slept enough. Like I had a rule when I was a kid, my parents didn't even have that many rules when I was a kid, but one of them was I could never spend the night two nights in a row with somebody <laughs> because I would always get sick <laughs> oh, <laughs> because I was, yeah. and I was having a great time, but I, I was too overstimulated and not getting enough rest. <laughs> that makes a lot so, of sense. Um, I always say rewind the tape. Like when you notice, okay, there was a when there was a tantrum. Let me rewind the tape and think what happened. Like what was what what could I have observed early on, and maybe I could have caught it earlier and made sure their needs were met. It's like, oh, you know what? I knew we shouldn't have gone to the store because they were already on the edge, but I went anyway, right? <laughs> no, I, so, I've done that. I've been there. And this also, <laughs> yeah. gosh, this is a ton of random questions coming in. But so, again, I'm kind of thinking babies, children, when if you're already a parent to a non-highly sensitive baby and then you have a sensitive, highly sensitive baby, how do you even recognize, I guess this goes back to the traits, but I would think it'd be really hard to like, you think like, oh, I got this. I, I've already had one. And now all of a sudden this other baby comes along and it's so different. Mm -hmm. Is it just really trying to be sensitive to the traits and backing up and kind of approaching it in a new way? Yeah. And it's, it's, you know, even two sensitive kids can have a completely different, like I was, I remember my first child was like, 
he was such a rule follower. I could put a whole plate of cookies and say, just take one <laughs> and I could walk away and he'd just take one. And I thought, oh, wow, I'm so good at this parenting stuff. <laughs> and then I had my second one. And if I did the same thing and left, it'd be the whole plate of cookies would be gone. So <laughs> each child is different. Yeah. And any parent that has two children, you know, can, can be shocked by that sometimes how different kids can be in the same household. So whether they're sensitive or not, um, just, you know, getting to know that individual child and their needs. And if you're seeing a lot of meltdowns, that's really just information for you that Mm -hmm. something's not right, that we got to change something. So I always look at, if we're seeing tantrums, we've got to look at what's causing them and how do we prevent them in the first place. So, you know, if you're, since children aren't, aren't great at, they're not good at regulating themselves yet, if you're, you know, maybe if I'm going to take my, when my son was little to a birthday party, it's really on me as a parent to make sure that, you know, he, he may be having a great time playing and doing different things, but he also needs to have a little break here and there. So Mm -hmm. I might need to jump in and say like, let's make sure we get some, some water and and something to eat. And maybe we just sit here for a minute and take a break. So away from the group, little things like that can make a big difference to kids just to get a little bit of downtime, even in the midst of a, of an event or a group, as an example. We actually found from my son that if we protein load him, he has a better day. And we can tell when he's starting to get hungry, like mid-afternoon, if we're kind of chugging along, especially on the weekends, and we for, we haven't given him enough food, that's when we can start to see the meltdowns happening. Yeah. So we want to make sure, are you hungry? And he might be like, no, and we're still going to do, we're again, protein heavy. We do like a, Greek, a plain Greek yogurt with peanut butter, like really protein heavy. And it really, if it changes, it calms him down right away. Yes. Yes. Sensitive kids, um, that's actually on one of, there's a self-test you can take as an adult and also as uh, you can take it for you. There's a child test you can take for your child. And one of the questions is about, uh, uh, do they have a strong reaction to, you know, um, not eating as an example that sensitive uh, people in general can have a really strong reaction uh, to not getting as much sleep. Like we need, you know, a lot more sleep as well, a lot more rest. Mm -hmm. Um, and, uh, if those, you know, generally if you really are meeting uh, a child, a sensitive child's needs, you're not actually going to see so many of these meltdowns. And it's really interesting too, about the trait, the more I've personally researched it in my work is that if you can reduce your, your stress, your child's stress, the, um, sensitivities actually reduce with them. So that's great. It's really fascinating. Um, I was just talking about this yesterday with the client, and we were saying how, um, like when she started, she with me, she had you know massive sensitivities to noise and ha- would find things really intolerable and kind of melt down. And now, through the process of working through her uh, her own needs and kind of meeting her needs, she's noticed that uh, her sen- her sensitivity to noise is not as strong. It becomes tolerable. So it's really interesting that you actually, even if you're really extremely sensitive about particular things, uh, like if I'm not centered and balanced, my sensory sensitivities are going to be worse. So it really all comes back to self-care. <laughs> yes, <laughs> exactly. We can't, we can't live our lives like like how, robots, we can't, <laughs> yeah, like how the 80% is living. I, for, for an HSP, we need to do it differently. Yeah, this makes a lot of sense. I'm loving this. I'm going to have everyone I know listen to this. All right, I want to take a break. And when we come back, I'm going to ask you for a tip or piece of advice 
to offer to new and expectant parents. Okay, we'll be right back. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. And we're back. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So it could be anything as a parent. It could be anything about highly sensitive babies or children or highly sensitive parent. But what tip or advice would you like to offer a new and expectant parent? Mm, I would say get help and support so that you can rest as often as possible. So that, you know, that reach out to support systems, whether that's family, community, parent groups, friends. Um, even if that means that you hire a housekeeper for a period of time, um, that you get meals delivered, like whatever you can do, that's going to reduce your stress at home and make things a little bit easier and get some support, get out into nature. Nature is so healing and, and wonderful for the sensitive spirits and, um, you know, do everything you can to take care of your own alignment and balance that that's going to give you the energy you need as a parent. I love it. It makes me actually want to take a walk after we hang out. <laughs> get a Do little it. bit yes. of fresh air before I jump back into my back into my work. And is oh, there- it's such a difference. Like, I, yeah. it really is. Like, it's the one thing that really adds points to our life when we spend time in nature. Even if you're just sitting next to a beautiful tree or taking a walk in a park or a hike, oh, just and you can do that with your with your sensitive kids. That's a great activity to do together. That's a good idea. Before we close up, is there anything that I didn't ask about that you think is really vital for someone to understand the highly sensitive baby or parent or child? Well, not that I could think of. We I think were, we, we it pretty well. <laughs> Good. <laughs> I mean, there's a, there is a lot to learn. So um, I encourage people to do that. And, you know, they. Um, I have a lot of resources. On. My entire website and, and being is, de- is dedicated to this trait. Well, good. Where so can people if, find your work? Yeah. So I encourage people to subscribe to my weekly newsletter, and that can be found at hspblog.com. And also, uh, my, I have, a like really dozens of pages of resources for, um, for the parent for, of sensitive kids for, for, um, sensitive people themselves. And that can be found at hspresources.com. Perfect. And I'm going to put all that in the show notes. And yeah, I, I hung out on your website for a while and listened to other podcasts you did and read your stuff. It's really great information and very easily to digest. It wasn't too heady. It was really wonderful. I think a parent that is finding they have a highly sensitive baby or or child, I think your resources can really offer support. Oh, thank you. I have people that sometimes ask me to translate other people's work (laughs) because because the way I, I explain things is yeah, it is easy to understand, and um, I think that's a, that's important. Yeah, <laughs> but that's I mean, also just who I am. <laughs> well, you need that. I mean, if you're already overwhelmed, the last thing you need to be is overwhelmed from the material you're trying to get help from. <laughs> <laughs> exactly, exactly. Well, thank you so much. This was so informative. I feel kind of rejuvenated from hearing this. 
Oh, I loved it. And I and thanks for the work that you do. And oh. I think this is so great that you're spreading this information. It's just so important. Well, thank you so much. I enjoy your, what are we on? We're on Thursday. <laughs> enjoy your Thursday. You too. <laughs> thank well. you so much. Bye. This has been an episode of Yoga Birth Babies, produced by Prenatal Yoga Center. You can catch us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and Periscope. I'm Deb Flaschenberg. Thanks for listening. Lucky Land Casino, asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.